All right. Hey, Casey Brown. Hey, hey, Rob. How you doing? Good. How are you? Oh, I'm magnificent. And it's so lovely to see you and hear you. I'm so happy uh, to be here. It's going to be fun. You haven't done the show before, but we, yeah. uh, as I always address on the show early, we do know each other. We were at school at the same time, um, but we're not like super tight. Um, I want to say we've had a handful of like conversations really besides like, what's up? Oh, right. He's over there. She's over there. Um, which are also fun because it means I get to know you today. Um, get to get to know you. That sentence always makes me uncomfortable because you have to say get to twice. Um, (laughs) I will, I'll just start off the way I always do. Where are you from? I don't know that I really know the answer to this. Okay. Where do I live now? Or where am I from, from? Where are you from, from? Act one. Orange County, California. I'm an Orange County girl. Oh, shit. Orange. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I grew up in a city called Placentia. It's literally right next to Anaheim. And we used to go to Disneyland for like everything. Like sometimes my parents would be like, we're not going to school today. We're going to Disneyland. And it was awesome. So That's a big ass thing out here. I got, I, it's so weird. It's such a weird thing. Like being, so I'm from I Texas. Yeah. I can see that if you're not from there. When you're from there though, it, it's what you do. It is such a thing. And it's weird because it goes all the way up in ages. That's what's weird. And nothing else has that except for Orlando and Disneyland and Anaheim. Because I grew up going to Six Flags and riding roller coasters, but it wasn't like, it's not the same. No, because you don't have the theme and the culture and the vi- and the movies and like all of that. Like everybody worked at Disneyland. You always knew somebody who could get you in. And when I was in junior high, like you were not a cool kid if you didn't have a Disneyland pass and go there and just hang out on the Tomorrowland Terrace on Friday and Saturday nights and like dance and like meet boys. And and that was what we did. That and is my, so wild. My dad always says, um, like we used to be able to get into Disneyland. I have a family of six. He's, he was like, we used to be able to take our family of six and eat all day for less than a hundred bucks. And now like, you know, it's not even a hundred bucks. It's more than a hundred for a ticket. It cost me. Yeah. But it's also like one of those things that for me, I know you have kids. And for me, it's like, I, the most dad thing about me, I think is my sense of humor. And other than that, Other than that, I try to push back on a lot of dad things. And one of the things I've always been like, don't do this, man. Don't ever talk about how much anything ever used to cost. Because (laughs) because you're 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 even if you're right, even if you're right, this thing's gotten out of control, whatever. Oh, my gosh. I talk about that all the time. (laughs) You got to skip it. Because it's like, first of all, everything is going to go up forever. So like, yeah, of course, (laughs) mom, it was more, it was cheaper earlier. But what you're trying to say to them is comparatively, it felt like a smaller part of our budget to do this thing. That's what mom and dad are trying to say when they get to that. Like, I can't believe it was like, well, of course it was less before, but no, it felt easier to do. And that's the real difference. And I feel like you're absolutely right about stuff like that, where especially theme parks, family trips, all that kind of stuff is so much more expensive and it doesn't feel like something you can just like make sure you get in every break or every summer. Or even or like just a babysitter. Like my husband and I, we do right. not go because we can't afford it. I when I'm down here and doing the show. And so we need childcare. Down here like, is North Carolina. I'm in North Carolina right now doing a show at Rhino Leap. And 
and I have to pay for babysitters back up in Boston, which is where we currently live. And it's, I mean, I, I'm paying 125 bucks for one Friday evening's worth of babysitting. My mother would not let me charge more than $2 an hour. I was lucky if I made 20 bucks for five kids. And I begged her to like, let me go up to $3 an hour. When she did, I was like, yes. And the fact that I paid 15 an hour is wild. It's yeah, it's it's so there you go. I did it again. Here's how much I used to pay. But you know what? It, you know what does that to you, I think. And that, I mean, you'd be able to tell me better than I would. I just talked to a lot of people. But it there's something about having the budget of another person that you don't experience until you have any. And it doesn't have to be a kid. A kid is like the main thing that people deal with in that department. But like if you have a sick parent as a young adult where you end up having to take care of them or manage your budget for them. If you end up, um, you know, with like my wife's been in grad school for two years, she couldn't work and she didn't take a, uh, she did a condensed program. So no summers, her weekends are crazy. Like it was so she could get it done sooner. But that meant she's unemployed for two years. We still got rent and we still got all this stuff. And when you start, paying for other people. (laughs) It changes your perspective on, on all of that stuff. And it it gets you, it's hard not to be like, shit, last year I did this for less. I know. (laughs) I keep this meticulous budget. So I go back and I look at what I spent last year on this thing and I'm just like, Oh my God. So let's talk about when, when we're uh, in Orange County, we're, we're outside Anaheim, we're hanging out with boys at Tomorrowland and whatnot. What, what are <laughs> mom and dad doing uh, for work? That's always interesting to me. What are, what, are, what are you learning when you're young? That's what adults go do. Um, my mom was a hardworking stay-at-home mom and literally supported us in everything when I awesome. got older. I'm the second youngest. So um, when my little sister was older, then my mom went to work at a bookstore and um, and she really hasn't stopped working since. She's a super hard worker. My dad is a criminal defense attorney. Okay. He has a practice in Norwalk, which is like South LA County. And um, and so that's what he did. I mean, he when I was a little, little, he was a life insurance salesman. And I remember going with him to work because he had this like collection of kaleidoscopes that I was just like, look at all the time and just be like, for hours. Well, I don't know why I was, I don't know why I was there so often, come to think about it, but I was. Something then, for you to dig into. Yeah. <laughs> and then when I was like eight or nine, he went to law school and, um, and then he became a, a, DA and then a criminal defense attorney with his own practice. So he's mostly retired now, but he does still practice and he mostly defends gang members. And um, that's pretty much how he's made his living. And you end up somehow on the East Coast. Do you move it all from Orange County or is that all the way up to School of the Arts? Because you also didn't go to School of the Arts like right out of high school. I did not. So, so I fill would, in some gaps for me. Take okay, me from okay. Tomorrowland with the boys to North Carolina. <laughs> I think I still have one of my Disney ideas somewhere because I was like, I love this photo. Um, so, so my parents always, always, always took us to the theater. They were both right. super into theater. We always went to go see theater at like the Mark Taper, Center Theater Group, South Coast Rep, Laguna Playhouse, Pasadena, all that stuff. And then my dad was always really into movies. Like he would take us on the weekend to back then, like a double or triple feature, which they used to show at AMC Fullerton all the time, or 
he would just like have us like sneak into a second movie. And um, we got very adept at that. So so good. I spent my whole childhood doing that too. Not with my parents' help. So that's kind of cool. But I, I had to figure it out. My on dad my own. would be like, go now. And we'd go. <laughs> it was what we did. You hang out in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. The criminal like I, element of it never really occurred to me until I was an adult. And I like tried to get my friends to do it. And they were like, Casey. And I was like, what? It's fine. <laughs> but um, I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts out of high school because, well, I had been to boarding school one year, my freshman year of high school, Idaho Wild Arts. And, and I'd done theater classes and what, and I like knew from a very young age, like I'm going to be a superstar actress. Of course. And I'm going to be famous and live in LA. Right. And, um, and then I went to the American Academy because my parents were like, you have to go to college or we will cut you off. So I was like, okay, well, here's one in LA. So I really like didn't put a lot of thought into it. And um, I got a great education there, but I didn't learn anything about the business. So I sort of floundered for like a year afterwards. And I I worked like at a Rainforest Cafe in downtown Disney. Nice. Um, And I was just like, I don't know what a resume should look like, what a headshot. I don't know how to get into this business. Then I served a mission for my church. I went to Pennsylvania for a year and a half. When I came back, I was like, all right, this is the time. I knew one teacher from the American Academy still. I ca- I knew he was at the he was now the new head of Idlewild Arts Academy where I had been in boarding school. So I knew how to get a hold of him. So I called him and he didn't like me at school. But I called him and I was like, hey, I know you hated me, but I need to get not start a conversation with this dude. I know I'm your least favorite, but I was like, I'm desperate. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to start. And he was like, call up Martha McFarland and take lessons with her. She's one of the founders of South Coast Rep. And he was like, and he was like, start there. So I, I think I paid like 75 an hour. I went to Martha. She coached me. And then she said, go audition for this professional summer conservatory program at South Coast Rep. So I did that. And I, um, part, part of it was that we got to audition for the casting director, a woman who at the time was named Joanne Deneau. And made a good impression on her. So I started working finally after that. And I got my equity card through South Coast. I worked in little theaters in Long Beach in LA. I did. Anyone listening to this has to be like, she's talking about after school, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this story sounds very much like a story you'd hear of like, man, I got this acting coach. I saw LA, like everything that you just explained. And yet we're somehow still before your drama training at school. Yeah. Of the Arts. Oh yeah. Go <laughs> yeah. ahead. I just wanted that to hit my ear. And I was like, I've heard this story <laughs> close, but it's in the wrong spot. So I worked as an actress in LA. And then when I um, finally was able to join equity, I got cast in a lead in a um, a show at South Coast. I was able to join equity. I started going on equity auditions, which in LA is easy because ain't nobody going to those. And, Mm. um, and I, and everybody would be like, where's your master's from? I'd be like, I don't have one. Fucking seriously. Yes. People at equity theater auditions are asking you about First of all, your degree at all, but secondary, like a graduate degree? Yes. Yes. That's and wild every, to me. That's crazy. It's so funny that you say that because like every time I told a teacher at UNCSA about this, they'd be like, what? That's not normal. And I was like, well, that's what got me here. So everybody was like, where's your master's? And I would be like, I don't have one. They'd be like, well, where's your bachelor's from? And I'd be like, I don't have one of those either. Why and do then- they fucking care about that at all? 
I'm, oh. I'm flabbergasted. Honestly, I've been out of school for 10 years. You've been out longer. Yeah. Not zero people have asked me zero. And I was proud to go there. I'm ready to tell people where I went. And they're still like, Oh, I'm sorry. Do you want me to ask about school? Cause we don't give a shit. Cause the American That's Academy wild to me. associates. And even then only if you take outside classes and, and for acting, who gives a fuck? Well, I'm what? sorry. I know I you do. had to feel that you had to so feel that but like the, the course of this like changed my life. So let's go. So I started to be like, oh, crap, I need to get a degree. Like and I was already thinking it. And then I had this audition for Idaho Shakespeare Festival. OK. And the casting director was like, where's your master's? Where's your bachelor's? And I was like, I don't have one. And she was like, can I just be honest with you? I don't know that this isn't just like a lucky two minutes. She was like, you're really talented. but." If I had you and somebody not as talented as you, but they had a four-year degree behind them, I would cast them instead. No one I said that to you for that real. They know what they're doing and that they can perform in a like a professional setting. That's what she said. Please finish this like, story. I have so many things to say. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, at least somebody like said it to my face. So I yeah. it, like confirmed what I'd already been thinking. Story's making sense more now. So much. So then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go back to school. Where am I going to go? And I had like a panic moment because I was 26 by then and I was right. working. And I like talked to my best friend, Jana, and I was like, Jana, by the time I graduate, I'll be 30. And she was right. like, well, you'd be 30 anyways. You might as well be 30 with a degree. And I was like, okay. And then my first professional equity show had been with Jen Lyon, who is also an alum of the school. Yeah. I was the manicurist in a show called Born Yesterday, in which she was the very luminous star. And I so I knew about UNCSA from her. So when okay. I like, did this, I was like, well, I'll, I'll, I'll put that one in. And then I applied at different schools and I got rejected from all of them. I totally blew my Juilliard audition. And UNCSA was the only one who accepted me. And I was like, thank goodness. That way my life is easy. I know where I'm going. I don't have to make a decision. And sort of coincidentally, my sister, um, so this was like now in 2008, I was accepted for fall of 2008. So we're talking like I graduated high school in 2000, 2008. And, um, and in the, my sister in those eight years had coincidentally gotten a cello scholarship to UNCG. And so she and her husband had moved out here where she's in still Greensboro. Mm-hmm. And um, and then my little sister had gotten a soccer scholarship to a college in South Carolina. So when my parents were still together, they had bought a house out here as an investment property. They divorced. My mom moved out here. So like half my family was very coincidentally out here. And then I got into this one school out here. And wow. so I moved out here and like, <laughs> Rob, I thought... It's college. Everybody's going to be different ages because at the American Academy, everybody was different ages. And, and it was some like, classes at School of the Arts have been, but yours wasn't. No, I got there the first day and I was like, oh my gosh, they're all 18. He's 18. They're 18. And I was like, I made the biggest mistake of my life. And I was like, I had this like dead panic. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in the wrong place. And I already signed because I was paying for it myself this time. And I was like, I signed the paperwork. I'm responsible for this loan. And I was just like, oh my gosh. And I was like, I'll give it one semester. 
And then I went, I remember Jonathan being like, (laughs) when I sort of realized everyone was 18, like, I was like, you're, you're 18. And then Jonathan was like, you're not. And I was like, no, he was like, how old are you? And I was like 26. And he was like, oh, you're a grown ass woman. You, you are a grown ass woman. And I was like, so you got Jacoby. (laughs) I know, I know, but he was in the year above me and Aaron ended up being, he was older. So there was Aaron, but we weren't tight in school, although we are tight now. Right. And, um, and so then I started and the first week was super weird. And I went to the first year, second year party and no boys talked to me from my class or the second year class. Cause they were like 18 and 19 and I was a weird old girl. So I never went to another party. Also, I was like, if this party gets busted, I'm the only one over 21. I'm going to jail. So I never went to another party. I was in that position all the time. I never thought about that once. I, like, Smart. I thought about it all the time. I was like, ah. And then um, Chesley, you know Chesley? I do. He was Girl, I know that, your whole class. Don't even worry about it. Yeah. He was the one that made me feel <laughs> good. Like I was sitting He's in the, the car. I couldn't afford a cafeteria pass. Everybody ate in the cafeteria because their parents paid for it. Right. Chesley noticed that I was sitting in the pickle jar alone. So he started getting his lunch to go, coming and sitting with me. And then they migrated. Yeah. And so then because he migrated, other people migrated and I got to know people. And then UNCSA turned out to be like one of the best decisions of my life. And the people I met there are still my best friends to this day. So I have to say that that is so cool for me to hear that story because it just solved one of the biggest like mysteries of my time at School of the Arts. (laughs) Which is what? So here's the thing that is interesting to me about that story and kind of blows my mind because I remember, so when you're at school, man, we so rarely actually talk about being at school, but I think this is interesting and maybe someone else will appreciate this. When we're talking about the school of drama in particular, you have these ensembles and the people who cast it go out of their way to try to get a group of people together that like can get along slash also maybe stimulate each other artistically and and they're going to work together and are going to fit. And I can't imagine the stress of trying to put that group of people together that have to be together for four years every day for 70 hours a week and all this. And so you end up with these different vibes. It just happens, you know, and it's fun to kind of see as people progress what the class vibe is. Um, when I got to school, the arts, the class of 2010 was, had my roommate, uh, and best friend Brandon in it. And then I also lived with other people in that class and I got really tight with them. And there was a vibe there that was like very, uh, felt very intellectual. They felt like a, a bunch of really smart kind of heady people. Everyone had yeah. a, a thought about something and, um, you know, uh, there, there's just kind of a different vibe in each group. And I remember while we were all at school and while you guys were, your class was a part of the drama school. We all, and I mean the classes above you and the classes below you, saw you guys as the most insular class. They are, and not in an exclusive, we don't want to be friends with you, but it's like, man, they all seem to really like each other. Like they just hang out and they're, they're so tight. They get an opportunity and I'm going to get to this specific point. They get a, a specific opportunity one time a day and all day when they have to fucking be together, lunch, they don't have to fucking be together. They can get a little break and go sit alone or sit with someone else or what happens with most drama schools, break up into small groups, twos, mm-hmm. threes, go have lunch, come back as the ensemble. And yet every day at lunch, there's like 
eight or 10 or 12 of you fuckers sitting together in the pickle jar in all black and like this drama club meeting. And we're all like, I mean, we're a drama ensemble. We love our classmates or whatever. What the fuck are you guys in love with each other? Like take a break. And it's funny because I, you don't see it also in the, that happens for, with first years in the calf because it's first year. They're all still trying to hold each other tight because they're scared about where they're at. But you guys are like seniors and you're in the fucking pickle jar at lunch, all sitting together, all still like it's still first year. And I, I never knew why it was in the pickle jar. I was like, of all places, now I have no problem with it, but I'm like, they're not in the calf. They're not in the drama lounge. They're the only group of like more than five or six drama students that are ever all in the pickle jar at the same time. And we could never figure out why that happened that way. And Casey, it's fucking you. You're the whole reason that whole thing. And we all talked about your asses for four years. And and you did it. You and Chesley did that. (laughs) that's so funny yeah mystery solved funnest time of the day we would just laugh and laugh and then like go back to class and we all like lunch too but not in a group of fucking (laughs) a dozen and then we would like race remember when the elevator used to be yellow and like i don't know about you but we called it the elevator do you remember that i never took the elevator i'm like an anti-elevator guy i don't like it so oh I'm like God. a stairs I'm, guy. I'm like, why am I going to waste my steps when I can take an elevator and escalator? So I like got the, we, so we all like took the elevator and we called it the elevator. So we would eat lunch and then we'd all pile on the elevator and go back up to class. And it was like, was I bad. think honestly, I think that I think the people who run a thing like the drama school accept that they are going to get what they get when they make a selection of people. But I think shit like that is what they're kind of deep down really hoping happens with you guys. They want you to kind of go through life together and do it. And honestly, that's, that's gotta be hard. Cause I think about my own class that I actually graduated with and I never clicked with them. Like I did with the 2010 group and yeah. they had a, a vibe, but that vibe was like also really concentrated and maybe like eight or nine people who really seemed to get each other. And then the rest of us were all in groups of twos and threes. And that seems like the typical kind of bond, you know, there's, there's, there's little groups, but it was really kind of an impressive and interesting thing that, like I said, it made it feel insular only because it made it feel not approachable. It's like, well, they don't need us. They're friends with each other. They don't need to break up and go get to know the rest of us because they're just so satisfied with the (laughs) friendships that they have in that 28 fucking souls or whatever they get, which is great, but we're not. We're like, I got to get away from these fucking psychos for a little while. (laughs) That's so funny. That's your perspective. That's so interesting. John Langs came to direct um, The Mystery of Edwin Drood, our musical, our senior year. And me and Jackie- I was the assistant director. Right. Duh. Yeah. Sorry for not remembering that. No, it's okay. It's a big cast. Any of those things. Um, So- This means Samip and um, um, now see- there were three of us, and I can't remember the third person. I see, and I didn't remember that Samip's on it. He's one of my best friends. So there you go. Um, but do you remember when he, me, and Jackie Robinson were double cast as Puffer, uh-huh. and when John was like, "You two are gonna hate each other by the end of this show," and we were like, "No, we're not," and he was like, "Yes, you are. Nobody likes to be double cast," and we were like, "No, we're so excited for each other," and he was like, "That's bullshit." Right. Nobody's happy at being double cast. He's like, girls are double cast in my class. They hated each other by the end. And I think it was this really fun thing that like Jackie and I never, we were always like, boop, boop, and like never got that. 
And then so when it was princess puffer rehearsals with just the two of us and John, mm-hmm. it was so much fun. Cause yeah. he's so easy to be with. And it was like shooting the breeze. And then we'd always end up like stopping rehearsal and just talking. Well, exception and- proves the rule, right? Like, I think that it's true that normally the dynamics function the way they do. And also not to out anyone specifically or even quote, cause I don't, it's, that was like fucking 15 years ago. But yeah. I, if I recall from talking to John, because I shared with him that I had trouble clicking with my class sometimes, and I don't think he clicked with his class either. And I mm-hmm. think his, his takeaway from it was like, sometimes you do, if you do, and you can use that great. And if you don't stop beating yourself up and get to work doing what you can do, cause you're not gonna, there's nothing wrong with you or them. If you don't yeah, fucking vibe, not gonna, if there's just no chemistry, there's no chemistry. But I think it's also tough when you go to school with people like you and Jackie, for example, who it's like, you don't want to resent a great thing, but it's hard to watch two other people who don't struggle with the same insecurities that you might. And they're, mm-hmm. they're able to help each other and support each other and both take a, a supportive role in doing that. But it's also like, yeah, you guys are like family, but also I think it would be weird for you and Jackie in particular, as we talk about people to be competitive about like, first of all, if you guys ever get the same part like that one, it's because we're trying to totally different things with this part. Mm-hmm. The chance of you guys being in the same audition casting call room in in your careers is slim. You're such different types and vibes doesn't mean you don't have great things to do that are different, but that would, to me, and that's one of the reasons why I always, I've never really felt super competitive with other actors or even directors because I'm like, yeah, but you can't do what I can do and I can't do what you can do. So like, there's no stealing from each other really. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think because we were just so close. I mean, we still are. I talk to Jackie all the right. time. So I think there was just always like, it was always like, yeah, cool. Like there was never any animosity there or competition. What else do you think created that? Just because I think that's an interesting concept. There's been so few classes I ever observed that had that vibe. Like, what do you think was going on amongst your peers that prevented less helpful, negative attitudes from becoming predominant? Um, I think that, that's a good question. I think that, I think a lot of it was just the content of the character of the people that I was with. Everybody was so generous. Good folks. So generous with support on and off stage. I mean, certainly like our class went through our share of personal dramas, or tragedies, you know, somebody's parent passed, somebody struggled with identity, a few people struggled with identity. And our class was just so supportive. We would have like, we would have a, a holiday party every year and it would usually be at my house. And and we would do some stupid like a uh, potluck thing. Like Romolo made this intense pasta carbonara and Chesley was making like a like a what's that lemon pie where it's like the puffy lemon meringue? Yeah. And like, and and we would play games and stupid crap like that. And we would all go together and do something for Halloween. So like there was never like a I'm only calling these people on the weekends. Like everybody was always invited everywhere. Mm. And I think people were just super generous. And then really complimentary, like in class, it's like good work. That was really good when we got so it sounds like the short answer is less assholes and weirdos who were unable to like just be a good guy and help the group out. Cause that sounds like what you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know what, you know, what's frustrating for me, Casey, and I, I know you, you have experience in education, of course, you know, parenting and all this stuff. So I feel like that this maybe this clicks with you, but here's, here's where I struggle as an artist. And I'm so curious about your thoughts. It's tough because it's like, you see potential, right? You see potential in people and you want to help them free it. And you know, that's possible because you've seen it happen. You think maybe, you know, how to get that going, but then really truthfully, if you, if you really want to make good stuff and you want to do that efficiently, you're better off with people whose potential is already unlocked. It's so much easier to work with people, like you said, who are just not bringing their unhelpful behaviors, habits, attitudes, thoughts, insecurities about the work into the space, even if they're talented. And I think that that relationship is a lifelong thing of trying to figure out like, how much am I willing to sacrifice I want, I want this person in this role in this play, let's say, because I just, I, when I read the play, I fucking thought of them. I was like, they're, that's them, man. They would, no one would do better, but they're kind of an, a little bit of an asshole. Not like I hate them, but like a lot of people don't like them. I like them, but a lot of people, it rubs them the wrong way. One of those things. And then it's like your brain goes, well, do I, do I take the person who everyone loves, who's fun to be around, who's not going to be as good at the part? And I honestly, I go back and forth because my heart wants to go, let's just have a good vibe and we'll figure it out. You know, that talent's not worth it if they're going to be a dick. Yeah, that's the easy answer. But what if they're fucking really good, really good? And you're like, I wish that weren't a conversation. And then how do you filter that also through the people you want to help get better who refuse to help themselves? You know, I know that's a lot. Take your time. A lot. Okay. So what's the specific question there? I think the first thing is, um, how do you feel about when you're trying to help people that you think have that potential, but they seem resistant to the growth that needs to happen because you have such a direct, uh, observation specifically with your class at school of how it can be. So the soil can get so fertile when you're all in it together in the ways that you just described. So how do you try to pass that on to other people when you see them behaving in a way that doesn't help? Other people, like people in my class when I was there, or other people like in my in work In your now? life afterwards. Um, okay. I think some of that is the desire to work, right? So yeah. there's certainly people in my class who did not have as strong a desire to work as other people. Um, And so I think, you know, when I do that now, actually with my students, my private students, I'll be like, um, if they'll say, what else can I do? I'll say, well, you can do the homework I gave you. You're not doing it. It's going to slow your progress. Right. But if, and, but they'll be like, well, I want to get to this goal faster. I'm like, then do what I'm asking you to do, do the extra. Right. So that's something I've definitely encountered. And Um, that's tough love. Because they're paying me to tell them the truth. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, not to be their friend. Like, I've had students that I am have been honest with and been like, I, I don't know how to help you. Like you're giving me nothing. Right. You, you, I'll say, okay, what's your objective? What's your actions? What, you know, the work that Gerald taught us that I use in my own professional life as an actress. And they'll be like, I don't know. And I'll be like, right. okay, let's guess. Even if you're wrong, just try. And they'll still be like, I don't know. 
And then like, if it's so many classes like that, I had a conversation actually with a recent student who hopefully doesn't tune in um, where I was like, listen, you're not doing anything. I'm not serving you. You either need to find a teacher who serves you better, maybe with a totally different way of working than me, or you need to start trying harder in this class. Do you spend much time in your money? Do you spend much time with these students in these classes? This is always a question that I used to have when I, because I used to do private teaching too, and I used to teach in schools and I, do you spend much time while you're being paid on the clock when you're supposed to be teaching them how to be an actor? Do you spend much time being like, why do you want to do this? Are you sure you want to do this? Do you spend any time on that question? Only in the initial conversation. Only in the initial None of those follow-up ones where they're not showing up, do you revisit the issue of like, is this interesting to you for real? Or why did you start down this path in the first place? Those things kind of inherently come up because... I sort of end up being a pseudo therapist. Right. Of know? course. Like they share with me like, okay, for example, if I'm like, okay, the next, like you're ready. The next step is let's like submit you to an agent. Let's get you in front of a casting director. Let's go to this audition. Let's make a profile on actors access. And, and they'll be like, I don't know. I just, I feel like I suck or I don't think I'm ready. Or I had one person who had a specific experience with racism. And so she was really hesitant to, to move into some of the areas I just mentioned. And so then I, or, or one who is it's so interesting, Rob, like I had this one student out in LA, she mm. had every opportunity. She was young, beautiful. Her father was very well connected. She had major, I mean, major meetings, major things, got an agent like that, which is not the norm for everybody was working, auditioning constantly. What happened? All she could see was her failure. All she could see was the fact that she wasn't booking. And then it made her question her whole life choices in general. And then she talked to me about it because she would just kind of be like, yeah, yeah. When I would suggest things, she wouldn't take it in. And then I'd be like, well, what's your hesitation? So it kind of came up in conversation. And she was like, well, I'm from this background where my parents expect me to excel on the level of like a lawyer or a doctor. They look down at actors. So, so it was like a lot of like, her own mental struggles with, of course, her family background, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, just whatever. Yeah. And so, even though she had like every opportunity in the world and like was in the exactly right place, she she just quit. Yeah. Yeah. She couldn't see the forest through the trees. And, and honestly, I got worried for her, you know, like really worried for her. And then she eventually came back around and she texted me and she was like, I booked something. And I was like, great. And we sort of texted back and forth a little bit, but that was the last time I talked to her was probably a month or two ago. And I, I have, I sort of checked in in that like interim time when she like gave up for a little while. And I was like, you okay? Because I, I care about the students that I teach and I'm not, of course, I'm not there to like, just take your money and like, be, like, have you say, I don't know the whole time. That's not fun for me. And I, it feels dishonest. So well, you seem like a very ethical person. And I've always thought that about you from what little I know, I have to say, that's something that I think about more and more. And like I said, my wife is a therapist and, um, her, her program that she just finished is, um, you know, they talk about ethics a lot. It's a huge part of it. They have, they have ethical obligations in their field. There are things that they have to, you know, get licensed and and like doctors and lawyers and tell the state, look, I'm going to be ethical, you know? Yeah. And I think that's a really 
it can be almost a dangerous thing to introduce to art because you start to get into notions of things that are not helpful in art, like political correctness and censorship and, and limiting ideas, but ethics treating people ethically is something that I do feel like is often missing from the conversation when it comes to artistic education. And what I mean by that is, and this is not, this is not me saying anything negative to anybody who teaches in art. I've taught in art. You've taught in art. I'm not talking shit about us. I'm saying like, maybe we all need to think about this just because I've been thinking about it, which is, is it responsible to send someone out into the world whose hopes and dreams are tied to art to prepare them with a skill set and to say, I've given you everything I can, kid, good luck. Is it responsible and ethical to do that while not also giving them some version of the lesson of don't tie your worth and your value to the shit that you get back? You're not who you're not every audition you go on. You're not what you book. You're not what you make. You're you and you have value and you're worth something outside of whether or not any industry or casting director or employer of any kind tells you, you get to work. You know, Mandy Patinkin came to school once. He said, don't let anyone tell you, you can't be an actor. I think that's great advice. I also think you have to include it with, don't let anyone tell you, you're a worthless piece of shit because they didn't hire you. That's crazy. And we just send everybody out into the world. We don't tell them that part too. We don't, we don't go out of our way to teach them that so that they I feel it. So, 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 so could not agree more. Your thoughts. And it took me a long time to figure that out for myself. How old are you? I'm 35. 35. In, okay. in two months. Yeah. 88. You figure that out so much sooner than me. I, I feel like <laughs> doing this podcast helps because I talked to all these people who don't know that. And I'm like, but I think of you as amazing. Why don't you realize that? I really like, like turning 40 was like the best thing that ever happened to me. Like I, 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 I don't know. Like, I feel like I have spent my twenties were just a crap sort of fun, like a shit ton of fun. And my thirties were hard and I tied so much of my worth to my career. And mm. it took me until not even having kids like disassociated that worth for me. I still tied so much of my worth to my career and not until I turned 40. I don't know. It was like a magic thing. Like all of a sudden I was like, I don't hate my body. I don't hate myself. My life is not my career. I can be very happy and have a lot of value in a lot of ways and I, I wish that I knew that years ago. So the fact I that you that got that you. is honestly so good to me. And that you're sharing that is so important because I have seen my friends and my students give up when it gets hard because they think that in order to be an artist, they have to be an actor. They can't do anything else in this world or in the industry, all of the millions of jobs and possibilities, but act. And if they can't act, then, then there's nothing. And, and if, and I've seen friends and students, like if, if one setback comes their way, then they're like, that's it. I mean, we went, you know, we're, we went to the same school. We know a lot of actors who we went to one of the best schools in the whole world to learn how to be an actor. We went to it and we went to it with them. And there are plenty of them that are paying their bills with acting and they still don't get that. They still get their ass kicked when they don't get something because they're like, 
if they have a three month period where they're not booking, they're like, oh no, I'm a loser. Yeah. What and a fucking you, nightmare. I think not really understanding, like, like our school sent us out to like, to do this thing and to make this difference. And they sort of said, like, I sort of remember hearing like, it'll be hard. It'll be hard. But I think we really need to talk about like, it'll be hard. It's going and, to be really, really emotionally difficult on you. To do I this. knew it would be that way because I had been in the world before working. So for me, I knew what to expect when I graduated. And that is going to happen to you. This is the important thing too. That is going to happen to you whether or not you win or lose the game you think you're playing, which first of all, you're way the fuck off base on that. So put that to the side. But let's just take it for granted that you at 22, you know the thing you're about to do and you have an idea of what winning in that looks like and losing looks like. I promise you that whether you win or lose, whether you are on fucking ABC in the fall or you're fucking slinging derves in the fall regardless of that it will be emotionally hard on you the success right. is not going to take away the struggle it's just different struggles well like this student who had everything like it was i would have killed to be in her situation at her age yeah she and so and we know people in our and i'm not alluding to exactly specific people though i'm sure people will think of people in their mind but i'm not saying names on purpose we know people personally who have experienced fame and mm -hmm. have to deal with what that means now not mm -hmm. what it meant when we were fucking 10 and we're like oh i can't wait to be famous when it's like fucking the late 90s we think we know what that means and that means something completely different now so even that thing that you think you hunger for it's not what you think it is and and I don't expect you to get that. Anyone who's listening to this, whether you're 22 or 18 or 35 or 40, I'm not expecting you to know a thing that you can't know yet, right? Yeah. But that's not what we're talking about right that's, now. You're right. And, and that's the hard part is that you can't know it yet. Like somebody can say it to you, like until you've lived it. Yeah. But you've got you've to hit it with, I think, and this is the thing that I think we can change. And this is the thing I'm sure you encounter as a parent. Self-esteem is really what we're at here. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're really talking about when you strip away everything, your kids, your, your spouse, your work, your everything, do you believe that you, Casey, have value in the world as a yeah. person? You have self-esteem. That's what that means. Yeah. And you have to find that devoid of everything attached to it in kind of a ayahuasca mushrooms, hippy dippy way. You got to... <laughs> Let it go and say like, oh, if I strip all that away, I still, I still can, I'm allowed to be here. How yes. about that? Give ourselves yes. permission to exist. Start there. Yeah. You know, I was lucky. I had parents who um, made me feel amazing and gave me really high self-esteem. So self-esteem. That's tough for a middle child. I'm excited to hear that from tough. you. I was the third of four. And yeah, uh, that's the and forgotten one. 100%. That's very true. I but, wish it weren't, but like my best <laughs> friend is the third. I totally know exactly what you mean. I always had like an annoyingly high amount of self esteem and confidence, which is why I can be like loud and talkative. But, but that's not to say that I haven't had super low points where in my brain I'm like, ah, and I've withdrawn. You know, I avoided alumni parties for a long time because of things that I felt in my head about myself and. 
so regret it. Like again, turning 40, I was like, why did I do that? I'm totally cool. And so. <laughs> you are totally cool, Casey Brown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't need to hear it from me because you're a motherfucking woman. <laughs> but you know what? It's true. Um, yeah, I totally know where you're coming from on that. I mean, I I it's one of the things that I both like. I don't, I don't get tired of hearing, but I do hear so often on this podcast that I really love to hear, which is like, I'm not dealing with that shit anymore. I'm not dealing with assigning my worth to that. And you hear it from everybody. You hear it from people who have made acting their 100% thing. You hear it from people who have become parents 100% of their time. People who have totally switched to other careers and are making cabinets or whatever the fuck. Like yeah, people, yeah. people are finding that release there yeah are a lot a lot of carpenters yeah, and i love that shit yeah. there's a lot of them and i love that um i'm into it myself it's, i told my wife i was like my whole all my whole 50s might just be carpentry you gotta get ready for that <laughs> I, I might just throw up all this all these dick jokes and once they pay the bills um but i i love that i love to hear when that happens and i i do think like I said, I think we should start to have a bigger conversation as people who work either occasionally or regularly in the education of artists. Mm-hmm. We have to start having that conversation about, is it even ethical to work so hard to train them to be good at a thing without teaching them also what it's going to be like when they do that thing? Mm-hmm. You know, we tell them everything about how to, you know, embody a character or to go there. We're lucky if good acting teachers, which I'm sure you do, try to teach you a way to get back once you've been there, because that can be important as well. Like just getting you to go there is great, but like you got to put your life back together when you do traumatic shit to yourself for fun. Um, So I hope that that's happening. But I think even broader than that, it's like knowing knowing that idea of like, first of all, you've, you've, you're committing yourself to something that most people in your life are probably telling you is a waste of your time. We live in it. We live in a country where we don't value it as a, as a life trade in that same way. Fame we do, but artistic skill set. it's like, why are you wasting your time doing that? So you've already said to get what I do now as a private coach. I think some people are like, Oh, she's just teaching. Like, but I don't think they get what I do, which has a lot of value for these people and how I try to help them. What do you think is the misconception? And then what's the reality? I mean, I think the misconception is what I used to think like, oh, well, they must have failed. And so they're doing this because they can't do anything else. Like if you can't do teach or whatever that stupid thing is. Yeah. Like I had um, teaching opportunities when I was um, starting out. So after school, I moved to New York and I signed with an agent. I started working there and Christian moved up there with me and we lived there for like five, six years. And I had taught off and on over the years for things as I was asked. And, um, and it was fine, but like, I was like, I'm never going to be a teacher. And then and then not that I thought poorly of any of my teachers. So I don't know why I had that mindset. Like, I mean, I, I always revered the teachers I had. They're teaching because they're great at teaching. You yeah, would yeah. be teaching because you're a loser piece of shit who failed at acting. Yeah, loser piece of shit. Somehow so, those are the only two things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. So right. I like, like, like uh, I had a, an offer to teach at this private school in Times Square. That was an art school. Yeah. And I was like, Nah, I'm never going to teach. I'm an actress. And I like kicked myself. I mean, it turned out fine, but like, 
at a certain point, I was like, I want more stability because I graduated at 30. So like the, right. I know you are so anti-kids, but like that need for kids hit me hard and fast. I am and okay I, with like, the biological imperative. Yeah. And I, I was like, something's got to change in my life. So how can I be in this world and, and have more stability? Cause my husband has always been in school. So I've always had to be the primary breadwinner. And what does he do? He is a genetic anthropologist. So <laughs> nobody knows what that means, but basically- I'm going to put together some root words. I mean, yeah. <laughs> anthropology is the history of like human culture and stuff. Right. So genetic it's like how that's tied to our evolution or some kind of shit. You are like literally the only person who has ever. <laughs> I'm the I'm the smartest dumb guy you're going to meet. I promise. <laughs> you're so, I am. I'm still dumb. I'm a dumb fucking guy, but I know some stuff. <laughs> the evolution of genetics. And then that has led into a lot of experimentation with genetics and trying to evolve ourselves faster than we are naturally evolving. That's fascinating. I would love oh, to talk to him. So, yeah, he's a super smart guy, but he's always been in school. He's right. finishing his PhD. And um, and and so so I switched to teaching and I was lucky. I, I taught at this amazing school in New York called St. Luke's School down in the village, private school for the ultra rich and like celebrity people. And I was just a great like it was this amazing staff. It was just like being in UNCSA. We were all friends and we all loved each other. And like going to work every day, I felt like I just laughed from start to finish. And me and my um, music teacher and my art teacher, who I collaborated with constantly, would like meet in my office and talk and laugh. And you then, have this like Kelly Ripa character that you do yeah. when you talk about your friends. You're like, oh, well, I. You're like you're on the you're on the Today Show. And like the fifth graders down the hall would be like, we can hear you laughing again today during that. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm sorry. I'm That's fun. And then um, and then I moved to Boston for my husband's PhD and I hated every job I had. Oh. It sucked. Sucked the life out of me. I went from private school to public school, not just mm. public school low income public school because it paid the most because the pay gap was $20,000 between what I was making in New York and Boston at all the offers. And I mean, it just was so much lower and my family was expanding and the cost of living was not less. So I took the job that made the most, which was these low income public schools, which were like eye opening. I mean, I went from this shishi cushy private school job to this job where like you know, eight-year-olds are screaming bitch at me and like jumping up on the table and like yeah. threatening to punch me. And it was the wild west. Yep. And I was really unhappy. So I started like evolving into like, I cannot do this forever. The pandemic came, Zoom was invented. I don't know, maybe we just knew about it. And I was like, I can teach online. I can teach people I want to teach who are thirsty to learn. I can teach adults. <laughs> and so I started teaching and um and so then I was able to leave teaching full-time last June. I do this now. So what this is, this is, I see now, I see now this is, I'm giving a long answer long. I'm, I'm okay with that. I asked you. So, so, um, so what I do now is I teach adults who just want to do it for a hobby, who are like, I need a creative outlet in my life. People who are sports therapists who work in IT for the government, who have all kinds of jobs, work at rehab centers. And they are like, I want a creative outlet. And I think it's acting and it's just fun. And they've been with me for two, two and a half years. It's just a hobby. Does it, and, is it just working with you or do they take that at all to like a community theater or something low key? Like, do they do it? 
I will get there. Okay. So, and then um, the others that I teach, the majority of the ones that I teach are people who are like, I am in a career. I have always wanted to be an actor. I don't know how to make that change. And so like they come to me for that help, but also, so like to learn the business of acting, but also to learn how to act because most of them have no acting experience because it was frowned upon in their life. Right. And then I teach actors who are in the business, working in the business. I help them with audition coaching. I prepare them for agency meetings. I've had, I've prepared some of them for big meetings with like, uh, with the head of casting for Disney or CBS or Netflix. So people kind of think of as an acting coach is you're there to keep up. So that's that third category. Yeah. And so I keep them all moving and, and like, I try to goal set with them, especially the ones who I know are in the business. I'm like, all right, so what's the next step to move you forward then? And like, how do we take those little steps to get there? I I mean, I don't do like a big, but there's no program. And I'm just like, right, right, right. Yeah. I understand. Case by um, case. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's super, super, super individualized. And for those that have been with me as a hobby, like one girl who's one of my favorites to teach, because she's just so fun. It's like talking to you. She, um, she is a sports therapist and she's been taking lessons with me for two years as a hobby. And she was just like, I might want to maybe think about trying out for community theater. (laughs) I was like, okay, let's do it. Do you know what community theater is, where it exists? And she was like, no, I was like, first assignment looks them up. Yeah, go to one. <laughs> or like I have another student who is uh, Black. She's Trinidadian. She has an accent. She lives with me uh, near me in Boston, not with me. <laughs> she experiences that she works in HR in a mostly white workplace. And her personal experiences, she's had a lot of microaggressions, a lot of racism. Sure. A lot of times where she's been passed over. So, And she's one of the ones who's like, okay, let's start out in the business. She's at the point now where she has headshots. She has a resume. She's paid a lot of money to get reels done. She has an actor's access profile. She's ready to go. But she hasn't. And I'm like, Mm. okay, get in front of casting directors. I was like, look, I want you to look at one-on-one and pick one casting director to be seen by. And she specifically wants to be in sitcoms. So I was like, okay, let's look at these casting directors who cast sitcoms that you want to be on. Let's find them on there. And so I gave her that assignment. And she came back to me the next week and she was like, I didn't do it. And I was like, why? And she was like, they were all fear. white. Ooh, yeah. She was and, like, and tied to that fear of they're not going to want me. Not going to want me, not going to give me a fair shot, not going to treat me the same. So I was like... Well, crap, I, I can't speak to that, but I mean, well, you could tell her that it's a far more, uh, I hate to say it, but my wife is Korean and she uh, did a lot of background acting. Wow. You got a better shot as a woman of color right now than you've ever had ever. And you've got one over like white girls. Like people are like, no, cast the person of color to Cho- choose that. If you can, it's almost a time of affirmative action and casting, honestly. But so many of the gatekeepers are still white. Sure, but they're still making decisions with that mentality. Yeah. And so and so I think that puts uh, at least my student and probably other people, it probably makes them uncomfortable in those spaces. So sure. Like I'm in a master's program. I'm getting a master's in directing from the University of Idaho. And I mentioned it to 
we had a required class my first semester, um, anti-racism, anti-racist practices in theater. And it was a perfect forum to be like, hey, I have this problem. I don't know how to address it. And one of my classmates is a casting director in New York. And she was like, I, and she's white. She was like, I have some friends who are black in casting. Can I connect them with your student? And I was like, yeah. And then I thought of Regina, who's in casting, who's black. And so that's Regina. And I was like, would you meet with my student? So, so we had two different sessions. Regina sat down with my student for an hour, just talked to her about her experience in the industry. And then this other this other casting director named Kendra Lucas was so nice, also sat down with my student and talked to her about her experiences and it made my student feel so much better. So there's a lot of like personalization for me with what I do. And there's like, I, I care about these people. I like think about them in between our sessions and I, I make meticulous lesson plans for them. And I'm, I'm trying to like move them forward because when they win, I win and it's fun for me. Like I love teaching them. And one of them went from a hobby to, she started taking an improv class and then she was like, I'm auditioning for this play. And she got the lead in the play and the play was absolute garbage and she knew it, but she was so excited to be in it. And I went and saw her in it and it was, she was so, so good. And the play was, you know, iffy, but she was so, so good. Or like, um, or like, uh, well, what I told you, our, our friend who's coming to town and I, I told my, some of my students, like, go take this class with her because this is a great opportunity for you. So like, when I see things on Instagram, when I see like, uh, this course for actors and I tell them all like, go take a scene study class. Don't, I'm not it. I'm not the only thing. What I do has value, but other things have value too. And you need a scene study class. You need to be with other actors. You need to be in a group. And right. It's not like church. You're allowed to have more than one pastor. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. You know, you can go from church to church, picking up lessons. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I do. Like, it's really quite personalized and I love that. Talk to me about their fears and about their life and about their setbacks and about it's, it's interesting. It's almost life coach via acting. Oh, completely. You can take that. That's yours. I'm not doing it. I'll put it on my website. You got it. (laughs) Giving away the free shit. Um, No, that's so cool. And I love to also, I think one of the things that we picked up, at, not everybody maybe, but we picked up at school and a lot of people pick up at School of the Arts across all the schools is that vocabulary that you're very excited to share with everybody. You're like, oh, I know that thing you're trying to figure out how to articulate and then therefore figure out how to do. I know what it's called. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's just that simple. Mm-hmm. People are like, I'm, just, I'm like, right. You're trying to figure out what you want. And they're like, yeah. yes. And you're like, yeah, you like get so excited about that moment when you're like, yeah, there's like, a whole vocabulary. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that that's a small piece of an overall mentality of enthusiasm for sharing something that you are so passionate about. And I don't just mean like the skill, but like the world of empathy and connection and all the stuff that's in acting that that is human that makes us feel the stuff not just like it feels really good to get attention let me show you how because that's what some people hear when they hear acting class and all that stuff and it's like we're actually teaching you how to connect to other human people which is a helpful for everyone 
I never understand actors who are not empathetic because to me, that's the crux of acting. Like to be able to see, to see this person and to see what makes them tick. I had a teacher years ago that said like a villain's not a villain in their own mind. Like they see the world a certain way. We talked about this yesterday on the show. You really? Yeah. uh, uh, Goodness. Brianna Venskis. She was in um, high school 05. Mm-hmm. Um, all over TV, Walking Dead, Agents of Shield, all, all stuff, and we were talking about that notion, like, what about playing villains? And it's like, well, they're not villains to you; yeah. they're people, yeah. because we're actually all people. Yeah. So, like that idea of empathy, of like, I mean, to be a good actor, like you have got to walk a mile in another person's shoes. And I know that there's a lot of actors out there that don't have that kind of empathy, and I. I don't know how they get so good without that kind of empathy. Because Do you find that hunger in the people that are hobbyists, like the empathy part of exploring other people, or do they want to play parts like that they already get? That's interesting to me. I will say for the most part, there's that empathy. Okay. I definitely have some students. I would say that maybe not as empathetic as others. They want to perform. Which I'm not knocking anything. I'm just, they're hobbyists. They could pay you to get good at whatever they want to get good at for whatever reason. I'm just saying like, that's interesting to me what's drawing them to take private acting classes that they're not going to then immediately utilize on in some sort of public performance. So I know. They're, they're working it out for fun. That's so cool. But why is very interesting to me. I'm sure it's all over the place. I don't know. And it, and I've had actors, I've had students turn me over, as I say, like, like I've had students be like, you know, the excitement's worn off. I, I don't, and I'm like, cool. You tried it. And I've told, and I have students who I'm like, you know, eventually it should get to a place where you only need me occasionally because you right. have what you need. The skills say, yeah. Or I've had students that I've turned over, as I told you, or like I used to take private students um kids but i realized very quickly that i had no idea what to do with them and i didn't really enjoy it even though i could charge so much more because parents will pay whatever i was like it was one of those moments where i was like i would just be taking your money and not really serving you so i, I love love teaching acting to kids that want to learn acting they're hard yeah. to find they are. Uh, when i was at school of the arts uh, in my transition time, like after and coming here, I did summer session. I taught um, amazing private lessons. Uh, Janine Hawley started uh, a program that I don't know how long it existed. If it still does, I have no idea. Um, but it was basically like an after school program because you know the dance school had all that after good. school shit. Yeah, Janine started one called Acting Out, and we I kind of started it with her. I was in the first class of people that were doing the teaching, and um. It's so you have a bunch of kids who come to that and they've gone to theater camp or they've gone to drama class or something. And most of them are coming expecting you to play theater games with them. And uh, I don't do that shit. I don't think it's fun for me. (laughs) We may do a quick warm up thing or something to get energy up, but I want to talk about the craft of acting. And I actually think if you get <clears throat> down to really simple shit, you're never really too young to wrap your brain around the really basic stuff. No. I mean, you can no. teach an eight-year-old kid actor about what do you want? Well, go get it. You know, it's like you can get into that. And so I got um, I would get a mix, right? I would get a bunch of kids who didn't really click with it because they wanted me to play games and do something more silly. And I was doing something a little bit more serious, even though I'm like a funny person, I was doing it like 
we're talking about something real here. We're talking about feelings. You're in eighth grade. And so like, that's a bounce back. But I had a few kids, mostly young girls who were like, eating it up their little Hermione Granger's in the front row right and everything they're like what craft he said craft and he's not talking about (laughs) mac and cheese this guy not something important was that is or that yeah he's into they're into it they want to know about the the nerdy details of it and the I would teach those kids I would do private lessons for them if they were really into it because when they're enthusiastic they're they're so fun yeah, the kids with private lessons that have come across my desk have not been those kids, but I would right. teach them. There's I way less taught, of them. Yeah, I also taught in a summer program and I haven't pursued jobs like that, but I'm sure that there are plenty of jobs with kids like that that are that age. But I taught hey, if you the find them, program. I'll do them with you. Yeah, I, I taught in a summer program as well. And I found those kids like thirsty to learn and talented. And so I basically taught them like adults, like, I remember this one boy was doing a, um, something from fences and I was like, he's angrier. He's angrier. I was like, hit the floor, hit the wall. I was like, you got to get it out. And then you got to come at your dad. And it's got to be like, Ugh! like this primal thing that everybody has in us. And, and he went there. He was great. And like all those kids, like it was so fun to teach it because I was like, okay, yes, this is the caliber of children that I interested in. <laughs> But I mean, I still remember my very first acting classes, which were also at South Coast Rep when I was 13, maybe. And the, what that teacher taught still stays with me. And it's still how I teach to this day. So I'm like, I mean, you know, if there's one thing I'm confident about, it's my acting. So I was amazing at 13. So I was one of those kids and and she was amazing. And she taught me things that I was like, oh, like it was so that I kept. And I was, I never heard anybody really talk like that at the American Academy or UNCSA. And so I was glad I had those classes when I was there too. I think that another thing that's different between adults, and that's why I asked, I'm very interested in these like hobbyist people, like why they come to you. I think that'll always be interesting to me. And I think one of the things that's different between adults and kids that I've found that seek it out is kids who go to theater a lot of times are just looking for attention. A lot of times they're just looking to hang out and do something fun and silly that they don't have to worry too much about because they have too many other classes that are like, they have to get a good grade. You know, there's all sorts of reasons, but sometimes you get those kids who really do go to theater because they're like, I think there's something to learn about people here. Like they're there because they're like, why do, why are we doing this? Why, why are people interacting with each other this way? And you read this play about this family that kind of seems like my family. Like they're kind of, they're interested in that part of the art. And a lot of times those are the kids who grew up going to plays or watching movies with their family or, you know, getting those adult stories before they're able to really process them. And those kids will eat up a summer program, eat up Mm -hmm. an acting Mm -hmm. class. And and it's great too, because that's your opportunity to get that self-esteem in there. And you can teach them like you have value outside of this thing you're attracted to. Yeah. I went to a summer program for Idlewild Arts two summers in a row before I went there for school. And they expected us to perform at the same level that I was expected to perform at UNCSA. So, I, I mean, there was no, there was discipline, there was structure. And like, I got sick one time and I was, I had a, a strep and a, a horrible fever and I fell asleep in my acting class. Now they didn't treat us appropriately. <laughs> Because like right. the director got in my face and screamed at me, are you fucking asleep in my class? 
get out of here. And I was 13 and I was like, oh. and, but I was, and I couldn't tell, I mean, I had shown up, but knowing I was sick because I was so afraid to miss the class. So like there were things that weren't appropriate about that, but it's that ethical shit. We don't talk about That's what I'm saying. We got to get that involved. That's part of it too. But tell you the Elia Kazan story without saying, maybe don't dump your actress the night before the fucking show and do, like, yeah. do shit like that. Like it's not okay. Yeah. <laughs> but like, like they, they, they taught us as if we were adults in a conservatory right. setting. So yeah, it's, it's interesting why people do all that stuff. It's, I didn't know that you had taught. Yeah. Makes yeah. sense. Cause I know that you were a great director at school. I did three semesters in high point at a private school for kids with learning disabilities and ran a drama That's program cool. there. They didn't have one before. Oh, I bet they didn't. So wow. kind of made it up. Um, yes, yeah, fun. We did Susicle, you know, yeah. we did uh Ashley Jensen's lip sync project yeah. <laughs> that I stole, um, and did our own version of that. I've also obsessed with lip sync. I did lip sync in middle school, it's like one of my earliest artistic things, like performances. And we even went to like competitions for it and did public lip sync performances for school. So cool. I'm I'm like a lip sync purist too. I also, I'm going to say this as many times as necessary because I know we both have friends in the drag community and I love, I love the drag community. Uh, But let me tell you, I tried to help out some drag queens in Austin to do a drag show at our comedy club I was running. And they, (sighs) I'm going to get a little defensive here. So anyone listening, I'm sorry. I stand hard on this. You don't get to make any noise when you're lip syncing. You can't just turn the music up all the way and and sing off key and lip sync. You're not allowed to make any noise. It's like pantomiming with like a wire, chicken wire frame. Like you're cheating the game. Mm -hmm. And apparently it is all across the drag world. They jack up the music all the way to the maximum volume. And then they're over here like, and I... Like not like <laughs> singing, singing it bad. <laughs> yeah. I'm like that's not lip syncing. That's bad singing. We can't hear. I think I will say that the drag shows I've been to have been strictly lip singing. So yeah. If they're legit lip syncing, making no noise with their mouth. They have all my respect. It's one of my favorite art forms, but you can't, that's the struggle. And you learn that when you perform it in a middle school cafeteria where the volume doesn't go up that fucking high. <laughs> got to work with what you got. I didn't understand um, a lot about Ashley's class, even though I loved her, but I loved the lip singing because I was just, because I picked an algorithm, I picked Let's Stay Together. And I was just excited to be like, I'm so in love. Are you, and I don't, I don't want to call you out and we, I can cut this if, if, uh, are you saying lip singing with a G? Yeah. I it's lip syncing. Yeah, I know. Like synchronized. I, know. I heard it after I said it and I was like, okay. I couldn't. I heard it the first time and I wasn't sure I heard it. And then you said it again, and that's what sucks. No, I know what you're talking about. I definitely just said it wrong. This was so fun. I had so much fun talking to you, and I hope we get to do this again. I hope so too. Um, Thank you so much for doing it. And um, yeah, I, I got nothing else. This is so this is so great. I always enjoy talking to you, Casey. I, I love talking to you too. You're super easy to talk to. Like when you came on, well, here's a perfect example. You yeah. came on and talked to my student about the film industry because yeah. I was like, who do I know that can talk to this student about this thing that I don't know? So, and you were so fun to talk to them too. 
Always happy to. And um, I think if if this audience that listens to this podcast knows anything at all, it's that I love the sound of my own voice. So thank you all for listening, <laughs> indulging in me. And I hope you liked Casey's voice too, because it's lovely. <laughs> I had a teacher a long time ago also say, he who talks most leaves feeling best. <laughs> <laughs> I bet that guy was a real blabbermouth. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.